But first, so, uh, yeah, what have you been up to? Um, mostly we finished off World of Smog. Okay, yeah. Uh, Rise of the Morlock. Yes. World of the Smog is the board game that came before that. When you were initially discussing it last week, or last time we recorded, I didn't realise it was the same thing. I hadn't heard of Rise of the Moloch, but yeah. I remember the Smog miniatures from Salute yeah. a few years back. Yes. Um, and thinking they were awesome. But, yeah. I mean, a little on the costly side back then. And then yeah. I think the yeah. IP was bought by Cool Mini or not. Is that right? That seems correct. And then they've produced it yes. as a... As a, as a dungeon crawler, effectively. Yeah. Even though a lot of it happens outside. But uh, that does, that's just their standing on the Yeah, well, dungeon crawler is a shorthand. For yeah. It's that kind of game. Um... Which was fun. Um, it would have gone better for the heroes if we'd uh, realised that we weren't stuck with the same uh, characters for all of the games. Yeah. Because it turned out we were terrible at using Sherlock Holmes and he did nothing most of the games. I remember you saying that you, so, you switched to a so different one. So it started going much better when we, when we swapped him for a werewolf. Yeah. No, you, you said, I think, last time we recorded, it was a lot simpler when you just yeah. started carving and through just, people. Just, just started killing stuff. Yeah. That, that turned out to be easier. Um... What else have you been playing? So, so I haven't, I still haven't managed to get back down the club. No, um, I might manage to pop down. Um, well, that would be tonight, so I'm not going to do it tonight. But maybe next week, just to say hello. But yeah, I don't know when I'll next be down to actually that's, play games. That's fine. We'll we'll work out some time to do uh, some actual game. Yes, that would be nice. Um, and then I'm playing Divinity: Original Sin with my wife at the moment. Yeah, which is. Are you playing that on the PS4 or on the PC? I PC. don't know if it's available. On, I think it's only PC, isn't it? I think it is. Yeah. PC. Um, we're, we're playing it with the controllers because you have to do controllers to do split screen. Right, okay. Interestingly enough, I actually think the control scheme works better on controllers. Despite it being uh, an RPG, I actually think controllers work better than keyboard and mouse. Because it's basically an old, old school Western RPG, isn't it? Yes. It's like Baldur's Gate, only pretty. Okay, more like Baldur's Gate than Neverwinter Nights, or uh, probably more like Neverwinter Night. Yeah. Okay. Um, but so the interesting thing is, there's two main characters. Like that's just the way it is. You can make them yourself, and male or female or whatever, hmm. but there will always be two main characters. Okay. So you effectively take control of one of each of them. Well, technically speaking, it doesn't have to be that way. You can assign the characters however you like. Hmm. There's also two NPCs that up to two NPCs you can have. So you can have each character, each player can control two players or however you want to do that. Okay. But the main characters talk to each other. Yeah. So, oh, you leveled up. Oh, let's talk a little bit about how amazing we are. <laughs> it's stuff like that. Okay. Um, and he will, a lot of the time when you have story conversations, he will go like, oh, start talking to this one and then the other have some input and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and he have, um, that it's a social combat mechanic in it, in it so you can have arguments that will then resolve hmm. so if you want to do different things you have it's literally a rock paper scissor game oh interesting um, and whoever wins the decision they made is the decision the game is going with huh okay that is also used against NPCs so like we had a, an example we walked into uh, it was a geomancer's hut and she was like oh I don't want you in here and we were like oh but but we're totally supposed to be here and then you go into that rock, paper, scissors thing uh, and lost. And so we had to kill everyone because, <laughs> so, we're, because we're the good guys. So is it not frustrating that there's no 
skill element in there or, I don't know, intelligence so test there, or something like there that. There is actually some of that because you have, you pick between intimidation, charm or reason. Okay. But you will have, I think it's based on your stats, but I don't know the formula. You will have a number next to, to that, which determines how many dots you fill out every time you win. Right. So you might have like charm four. Hmm. So whenever you win a rock, paper, scissor battle using charm, you will fill in four dots. And that might be eight or 12 or something like that. Dots so you it's need sort to of like in. a handicap versus the, the number of wins required. So, like, sort of, yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. So, um, so the rock, paper, scissors is actually done in little rounds. Yes. Uh, yeah. So you, you do rounds until one side or the other have filled up their entire bar. And oh. then you just win. Okay. You can also forfeit if you just want to go like, uh, let's just fight. Sure. Okay. Um, so that's quite good fun. That's interesting. Um, it, it, we just discovered crafting because I finally got around to read up on it. Turns out that the weapons you craft are just better. Well, you've got to incentivize it. Yeah, but it's super easy. Yeah, but if it takes time, you don't want to, you don't want to craft something and then pick something up five minutes later and be like, oh no, no, right. th- this is the other way around. It's like you craft something and then you, you pick stuff up and you go like, well, all of this is shit. Yeah, let's go and sell it. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the inventory is nice. It's weight based. Mm-hmm. So my fighter, my main character is is a, is a fighter. Um, so you just boost your strength all the time. So I'm just carrying everything. <laughs> well, it's even thing- so you you've turned yourself into a pack mule. Kinda okay. like my inventory is ginormous. It's not it's, it's not it's not space based. It's just like weight. Okay. Which is, which also means you can do things like oh we found a chest and oh, we don't have the key for you. I'll just take the chest with me. <laughs> Do you get encumbered? Like you move slowly? Oh, eventually. Right. Okay. Um, it hasn't happened yet. I'm carrying like 50 odd spare weapons and stuff like that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, have you been playing any other board games or miniature games? Or is it um, pretty much just Rise of the Moloch and then... Uh... Seven Wonders. Okay, yeah. I've never played that. It's really nice. It's quite simple, in theory. Um, doing it well is really hard. Usually a sign of a good board game, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we, we play that a bit, where you, effectively, you it's a card-based game. You have your one that you can build. Requires resources. But then in return, you also, there's three ages, mm. which correspond to three different decks with different types of buildings in. So the first age is, the buildings are much simpler. A lot of them are just resource generation, stuff like that. And you end up with seven cards, I think it is. Okay. You play six of them think um and you you make the deck like that's a drafting mechanic first yes um and then each turn you you play everyone play your card face down and then you flip it over and you can then either build it or discard it for money or use it to build your wonder and stuff and then some buildings have requirements which might mean you need x resources so maybe you need two wood and some brick okay yeah um resources are not exhausted you just need access to them and then you just look like what do my cards generate but interestingly, you can then buy resources from the players next to you. Okay. Which means giving them money. Yeah. And then you just get access to that. You don't lose it. You just give them some money. Okay. So, so that's quite interesting. And so it's ha- more like you're buying production quantity rather than an actual quantity. Yeah. Yeah, you're just like, oh, I need, need some of your breaks. I'm buying some. Okay. Crucially, they can't refuse to sell it to you. Oh, okay. It's not a negotiation. It's literally just, here's two gold. 
I'm using your brake. Okay. End. Um, there's also a concept like called chaining. So some buildings will let you build later buildings for free. Oh. It's all marked on the card, so you can actually tell. So there's a little bit of a, almost like a research tree in Civ or something. So, sort of, yeah. Um, so that, that means that you, you still need to play the card, yeah. but the resource requirement is waived, so you don't have to have whatever that is. Oh, and obviously cool. as you go through the ages, the resource requirement gets bigger hmm. and needs more diverse resources and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Um, huh. And then there's like 12, 10, 12 different ways of scoring VPs or something silly like that. But Yeah, I've, I've seen it about a lot yeah i think it's been around a while oh yeah um but i just never got round to uh to playing it no it's really good we'll, uh, we'll have to try that sometime. yeah one, one day six i might make it to another board game yeah but... six player game oh well, I'll, from from two to six okay i think it's two to seven actually hmm. turns out it doesn't really matter how many players there are because you literally only interact with the player to your left and your right okay the rest of the board is relevant to you have you ever played it two players no, that's a that's a a, a a third. That's an NPC player in that case. Right. Yeah, I was going to say because a lot of the time with board games, they three to six is yeah. normally or three to five. Yeah, something like that. The game mechanics tend to be fine, remaining intact. Yeah. You might adjust the number of cards in the deck or, yeah. or hand or whatever. Which, which you do in this as well. The cards, some of them are marked and like, oh, only if there's three or more, only if there's four yeah. or more, or whatever. But when you get down to two players, you need like a major. Yes, a lot of games rewrite of some stuff don't, don't function that well at two player. Yeah, yeah, and usually when you get above that, we're above that sort of five or six, whatever the standard is, things just start taking so long, or yeah. you might even run out of cards. Yeah. to go around. And yeah, things like that. it's less of a problem in in this because everyone does some things simultaneously, and because you only interact with your direct neighbours, the fact that there's another four people at the other at, mm. around the table doesn't really impact you yeah that that concept of mostly interacting with people to your left and right reminds me of a game which has never actually gone to retail and i got it second round on a kickstarter called the agents oh yes i've played which that i i haven't been playing it recently but i might as well talk about it now that i've said that um you essentially build up uh oh god it's gonna be quite hard to explain actually it's a lot easier when you can <clears> see the cards you're running a spy agency basically well, a spy agency has sort of shattered, uh, splintered apart, and you are one of the people who essentially ran the the, uh, the agents, and you're trying to get them to uh, do your bidding. Yeah. But the trouble is, they have no loyalty to you. So when you play a card between yeah, like, the player yeah. to your right and you, it'll either give you victory points or give them victory points. Yeah. But whoever doesn't get those victory points get will to take instead an action. get to do, take an action immediately. So there's a lot of sort of give and take. And you can occasionally target people other than those to the left yeah. and to the right of you. But uh, I, I, maybe I'll talk. I'll, I'll try and play it again and then talk about it yeah. where it's a little bit fresher in my mind. But I really, really enjoyed it. I think... It's a good with, way of managing player numbers as well. Yeah. With two players, it does, it does struggle a little bit. I feel like you want to play it with four or five you yeah you in that type of game you want the decisions not just to be like well it's always going to be us mm. because that creates bad incentives yeah it's, it's a real shame that it's not available at retail or at least it's certainly the plan wasn't to make it available at retail i don't think it ever has been 
because uh, it, it's a really cool game. It's got some some cool concepts yeah. in it, um, and I really like the artwork. Uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll stick a link in the podcast description, and people can check it out and yeah, not actually be able to buy it. So maybe, may, I mean, there might be copies floating around. You can track. Yeah, down. there might be a print and play or something. Who knows? It's interesting. It's got plastic cards. Not yeah. not. Uh, oh yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah which is. Fine. They wear a little bit quicker than paper cards in terms of the printing. Yeah. But the actual cards really robust. Yeah. So it's all a bit of give and take there. Um, they, and if you have a big stack of them, they fall over quite easily. But uh, yes, they're slippery. So, like I said, I haven't got down to the club for well, I guess it must be nine weeks now. Something, something like, like that. that. Um, so I haven't played anything board game or uh, or miniature game related so i mean going to continue this tradition of spending half an hour talking about video games on a board games podcast we're going to have we're going to have board games to talk about coming up well yeah we'll get to that but i was just trying to think what i so last time i was talking about hollow knight and how it hates you um I've, i still I, hate I, you. I really came around on that game it does still hate me um i've finished the story uh I think I got like ninety-seven percent completion. Bear in mind, it's possible to get more than one hundred percent because I've got the DLC. They don't just okay. Change. They don't just. They don't just give you a new set of yeah. Because if don't... you got one hundred percent and then you downloaded the DLC and it was like oh god, eighty-five percent. Yeah, oh great, thanks. So you can get. I think you can get one hundred and ten percent. Something like that. So that to me is actually worse than if you did just not your completion percentage down because one hundred and ten percent completion is just dumb. Well, it depends on how you look at it. If you, I, I know. To me, it's just like, no. But you've got 100% of completion of the original game. And then... Anyway. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I got, I got the... That's not how percentages works. But no, it kind of is. Anyone who says you can't have more than 100% of something is wrong. You can't have more than 100% effort. When people are like, give oh. 110%. Now, that, that is literally that, impossible. That, that also really annoys me. Anyway, Hollow Knight... Um, yeah, I, I finished it uh, and got the the basic ending. The, yeah. There are a couple of extra endings. One, the, the, the true ending, um, I'm not going to get. I, I just ended up reading it, reading up on it on a wiki. I think I'm capable of doing it. It just would require more time, and I put about sixty hours into that game, uh, which is the longest I've put into a game that's not Rocket League uh, for a long time. Um, <laughs> Um, I think quite the last game was Mad Max, I, which wasn't even that good. It was just I really liked the world. I, I had a look at my um, because I had a friend asking me if Civ Six was worth getting, so I went to see how much Civ Six I played. It turns out it was more than four hundred hours. That makes sense though. That's is it is different. Like you compare Civ to um, to something like Hollow Knight or or mm. a, a single, which yeah, is a yeah, single it, player. It, that, that, it's yeah. it's not that is this is the play arc and then you're done. Well, but, I mean, like I say, Rocket League. I've, probably over 400 hours in that yeah. but that's over the course of since it came out what's that four or five years yeah um so yeah completed hollow knight uh then i completed dmc the uh the british made devil may cry game oh okay it's made by is it ninja no wait don't don't know anyway it's made by the company which made heavenly sword yeah. and journey to the west and stuff the guy uh, who started Guild Ball? What's his name? Ah, oh, Matt Hart. Yes, he was. Uh, he worked for them. Oh, originally. yes, yes. Um, uh, yeah, I did. I did actually know that. Yeah. So, uh, play through that, which uh, is really good, actually. Um, not got. It's, it's a bit. 
slightly sort of adolescent edginess going on in it. It's a um, Devil May Cry game. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it's it's the British edginess, so lots of uh, lots of f bombs and the c word and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then you know, if you compare it to the other Devil May Cry's from Japan, they've got their own edginess, which it's just can be distasteful in another way. So yeah. whatever. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that. Uh, finished that. Uh, I might just go back to The Last of Us now. Uh, seems I'm still spending a couple of hours most nights with Owen asleep yeah. on me, so my wife can get a nap. Um, seems reasonable. Yeah, sort of going through my Steam backlog at the moment. I saw uh, there's a game called Northgard, which is like an RTS. Yeah. And I thought that that went on sale half price. Might even be better than half price recently. And I almost bought that, and I thought I have to play this with the Steam controller. Which, yeah, I can, but it's just a bit fiddly to be moving a mouse around and clicking yeah. and stuff. So I just I just let that go by. That um, that was the one thing I was really impressed with for Divinity hmm. was that if anything, it works better with controllers than with yeah uh, yeah you said with mouse and keyboard. Yeah, most interesting. Mostly in terms of so it has the the clunkiness of oh you move the controller around for targeting stuff or there's short keys for that. Hmm. But mostly it's for finding things. Because if you're playing on a keyboard, you have to hold down the left control key to see stuff on the... And then you have to click on the name. Right. Which is... The fact that you can't toggle it is just sort of annoying. And on the controller, what do you do? You press... You hold X down, then it sends a circle out around you, finds everything in that circle, makes a list, and then you can just click, yes, I'll have that, I'll have that, I'll have that, and then you just want to <laughs> out and get it. Okay, yeah, fair enough. It's actually really easy. You can also, if things are in containers, you can send it to anyone in your party from the entire map across. Yeah. You've actually done a lot of things to make two-player split screen or just two-player in general works. You also have items that can teleport you to each other. Okay. Hmm. So you can split up when they're around the map separately. You're like, oh, I went into a combat. Combat is turn-based. So you can just be like, okay, well, I'll just wait. You just do your thing and then you can teleport over to me and oh like look now we're both in the combat hmm. nice yeah fair enough it's, it's actually really you've done a lot of things to make it really playable yeah which is very nice yeah I mean it's always been a always been a problem and still is like how do you how do you take something which is designed for mouse and keyboard it's really the mouse that's the thing yeah and put that on a controller sometimes it's just the sheer number of buttons you need. If you're playing an MMO, which I've never really done, but it's just uh, all the yeah. shortcuts and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've played um, some, mostly when I was at university. Turns out that when you're at university, playing computer games 12 hours a day is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do quite that much. But yeah, no, I played Anarchy Online back in the day, oh, yeah. which is ancient. Yes. Adam. Uh, really ancient. Adam, oh. who was on last time. Yeah. He played a lot of City of Heroes when we were in year two and three. I think before that... Oh, I'm not going to remember it. Mm. One of the old... It was Ultima Online he used to play. Yeah, which is probably. one of the really old yeah. ones. EverQuest? Oh, yeah, he loved, it. He loved uh, a bit of EverQuest. Um, Maybe it was EverQuest that he played a lot of. I was going to say, if, if I were going to guess, I would have picked EverQuest for that. Mm. Anyway, anyway, um, digress. Yes, um, a little bit. So yeah, that, that's it really. I've been mucking about with uh, 3D printing stuff. Uh, yeah. Other than that. E exciting things on your new, on your web store? Or just exciting things to play around with? Well, yeah, I mean, there will be some new products soon, um, which I'll announce through Mastercrafted. Uh, 
gonna try out some FDM printed stuff, like print on demand things. Yeah. See how people like those. Uh, okay. Yeah, but I'll that'll, that'll all get announced over on Rust Crafted. Um, so let's get to the topic of yes. the day. Yes. Uh, which is dead games. Um, so I guess we'll talk about why we came up with this topic. Yeah, that was I, I thought we because there's a specific reason why we we came to this. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm trying to think how many years ago, but I'm gonna fail. Maybe 2014, 2015, something like that. Well, I mean, maybe mm. we, we we're talking about Wrath of Kings. Yes, yes, Wrath of Kings. Wrath of Kings. Yeah, because I love the English language. Because um, I had I tried it out a couple of months ago. Yeah, for the first time ever, actually. Yeah, and ended up buying a faction. Yeah, so I I got in on the Kickstarter. And I backed two factions for myself and an additional faction for Gary, who yeah. is uh, one of the new player reps at the club, Yeah. Uh, who immediately, when it arrived a year and a half later, sold it on eBay. I was going to say, that seems unlike him because... Yes. He was playing Fallout. Oh, I know, yeah. Normally he's like just GW, nothing else. But yeah, yeah he was playing Fallout the other day. Uh, I commented on it. Um, so... Seems nice. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Rothkins, I backed that as a Kickstarter, and they had. It was it wasn't like a really extensive range, but there were probably two rank one. I think we've talked about the rank system on the podcast I, before. I think so. But maybe we'll cover it again in a second. Each faction, of which there are five, five sounds right. Uh, each faction had two rank one infantry uh, choices and a rank two. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so that was like the main release, and then after it released, uh, after it arrived with people, uh, a little while after that, there was a wave two. Yeah. A couple of years, I think it might have been actually for all yeah. of the wave two to come out. And in fact, you still can't get some of it over in the UK. No, some of it <coughs> is you're effectively going to track it down from somewhere weird or just buying a streak from uh, Call Buy direct. Yeah, when they do their uh, their Black Friday sale is probably a good time to I'll, do it even though it takes forever to arrive. I'll probably get the last few things I don't have. Yeah, from that. So this was a cool mini or not Kickstarter and it was one of their early right. attempts at lots of miniatures in PVC. I think they actually have poly Oh, is it polyester? No. You're the Polythene? materials expert of us two. Yeah, I can't remember. A different plastic uh, for the weapons, so they're less likely to be bendy. Oh, that's a very good idea. Yeah, less likely to be um, than, than, than PVC. I haven't had any bendy weapons, I'll say that. You, you should notice that they come. They might even come on a sprue in a little bag of their own, uh, the weapons, that are different. Yeah. So... This was before Cool Mini or Not started getting lots of licenses, uh, like the uh, Game of Thrones. Yeah, this, license. this this was very early on in in their career, so to speak. Yes, before they started churning out quite so many zombicides and uh, other box games. That's a rant of its own. Yeah, yeah, let's <laughs> not um, get Gary in for that one. He loves it. So it seems it's sort of become apparent. Over the last couple of years, that Call Me or Not have just not really been bothering with, with this game anymore. That was my impression that that actually happened quite early. 
Yeah. The, the well, follow okay. through just wasn't. Well, once everything had arrived, because it was very late, this is worth pointing out, this was one of the first sort of miniature games kickstarters that received lots of criticism late fulfillment for being very very yeah. late and wave two was such a disaster and it wasn't a kickstarter wave two it was wave two of the releases yeah. it was such a disaster because i think what happened is a large amount of the fulfillment was put aboard the ship in china yeah and whilst at sea the uh the company went bust yeah which then meant you had this massive chinese ship with a load of stuff on board but couldn't dock anywhere i think this is what happened okay and so stuff was just delayed for ages in so it's like caught in limbo somewhere yeah so like i say even now it's quite hard to get some of the wave two stuff over here in fact yeah. some of it just isn't over here and others others is just low stock yeah uh so yeah it, it seems like it's pretty much a dead game um, well, I think people were asking about it at Gen Con, mm. and I think the replies were effectively like, this is what's available, deal with it. Yeah. Now, when a game ceases to have support... Like should, yeah, I was going to say, should we define what we mean by a dead game? Yeah, okay. So, the way I think of it is a game which is no longer receiving active support. Now, I don't know what the time frame you put on that. Yeah. Yet. Um, or that has officially had support dropped for it, I yes. guess. Which is not quite the case for, for this yet. But no, the, writing not, is, not... the writing is on the wall for the game, let's put it that way. I wouldn't be surprised if they are running stock down in their warehouses and then then they'll just go, oh, it's it's done. Yeah. But it's still selling. Yeah. Uh, it's... The community's still reasonably active for a game which is non-GW yeah. and doesn't seem to be getting any new releases. Yeah. Because I think there's a difference between not getting more updates and a game that is just not available to buy. Because you can buy this. Mm. Um, mostly from Cool Mini Not Direct. Like, if you want access to everything, that's just where you go. Yeah, I think in but the you UK have... there's Leodis Games or yes. something like that. Uh, they have some stock. Mostly Wave 1 and a couple of Wave 2. Darksphere got stuff? Oh, have they now? Okay. Not much. Mm. I, mostly because like stock levels are just really low. Yeah. Because I'm, I think lots of stores got something in. Mm. But then because it doesn't move very fast, it just never restocked and just are just waiting for it to go away. So one of the things that happened between Wave 1 and Wave 2, uh, seemingly, is that the original concept artist was no longer working on the project. Yeah. I think he's still with Kilmini or not, but I think he's just moved on to other projects. Yeah. So some of the art is a little different, but some of the sculpts are quite a bit different. The original sculpts, there's something kind of cartoony, very specifically yeah. cartoony about it. And some of the newer sculpts are a lot more realistic, a little darker. Yeah. Like there's this big mutant pig, which is really, it's almost like something out of Dark Age. Yeah. Uh, so. That was a little bit of a bummer, but I think you know a lot of it just comes down to painting style. You can put it back. Yeah, I was, I was going to say you you can effectively make them look quite similar. Yeah. So when a game doesn't receive updates any longer, people tend to panic, don't they? It's, they go, "Oh, is this game dead? Or well, do I need to sell yeah, more stuff?" It's going to say. I mean, one of the things we were going to discuss is: is it a good or bad thing? Yeah, because for me, when I saw Wave Two's announcement and I saw the volume of stuff they had planned, yeah. My heart sank a little bit. I was like, oh, actually, I quite liked 
that this is a very limited game. They right. know what I'm likely to face. I'm not likely to play it a lot of times in a year. And it's it was sort of it was a very measurable, a very known and finite thing that I could yeah, cope with. I think the is it a good or bad thing? I think the art the answer to that comes down to what is your intentions it's for the game? Subjective, yeah. Well, I mean, no, I think honestly, it's about is it going to be the main game you want to play all the time, or is it a game you like and you play sometimes, occasionally? Mm. I mean, we are notoriously bad at playing any game for any length of time yeah. <laughs> on a consistent basis, anyway. Yeah, I mean, the closest I come to keeping up with a meta is Bushido. Yeah. Uh, which I'm obviously very close to anyway. So. I was going to say, you make most of it. So. Yeah, so I see things coming out in advance. But I, I, even then, like I'm, I'm out of... I, I don't think I've played anything since the latest Adrata dropped after yeah. we discussed it. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's lots of games that we play very occasionally. And I, I think... I, mean, I might just go off on a little bit of a tangent here, but it, it is related, so it's not too much. It's surprise, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think it's very hard to be... And someone's first game, someone not first game, someone's primary game these days. Mm. Maybe when this Kickstarter started, it, it maybe wasn't that hard, but it's very hard to take uh, people and go, "Oh, this is the game that you should concentrate on above all others." GW can do it. I think there's a couple of games um, that can do it, but that's also because the, the games are quite big or quite well established with big groups, and they demand lots of effort. Yes. So that's where you you need releases to be coming out all the time because you need the meta to be shifting because it's it's almost like there's a sort of chicken and egg thing. If the meta is constantly shifting, then people have something to keep up with. Yeah. But if the meta is not constantly shifting, they don't need to keep up with it. So maybe it will drop. Down. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's it's. I mean, I'm thinking. So you have the various GW games. Just because GW is huge, lots of people play it. So there's lots of people with just have either one of them or just GW as their game. Yeah, and, and the, the financial buy-in aside, they have the best onboarding system in the world because they've got stores. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, War Machine and Horse, just because, A, it's a very demanding game. Yeah. Like, it's very knowledge-intensive. If you want to play that, you kind of need to put a lot of effort in. Yeah, I the reason I got out of War Machine and Hordes was because I just I couldn't keep up with it. And if... If your knowledge wasn't deep enough, or you didn't read all your opponent's cards, you will just minutes before you will just randomly lose to something, and that's oh, not. Yeah, you could lose beginning of turn two, and that'd be that. I, I've had someone lose uh, bottom of turn one. Yeah, sure. I I, I don't like that in a game. Um, it's, it's one of the reasons I don't like forty k's. Oh, I do all my stuff, then you do yeah. all your stuff thing because I've turned up to tournaments. Beginning of my turn one, I've had. Thirty uh, percent of my army not there anymore. Yeah, hard to come back from. Yeah, and and you know you could argue that competitively maybe I wasn't being like very sure. good. But also, it wasn't fun. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, um, so you got that. Mm. Um, you got, I think Guild Ball. Yeah, Guild Ball is a is a big which one I think you get a lot of people moving away from War Machine into in, Guild Ball. Yes, because it's it's very much. It's not quite the same style, but they're fairly similar. I think. Fairly similar in, in terms in of appeal. how you think about it. In yeah, how you have to need yeah. to, you know, deconstruct your options and things and then plan things in an order. But it's much... Um, Lower financial buy-in. You can play it on, a, on your coffee table, probably. Yeah. So. Uh, and like there's just much less to keep up with. Like The entire range of Guild Ball miniatures is like the range of one faction in War Machine. Yeah, yeah absolutely. 
Um, so from that point of view, I think that one is an easier one to do it with. Yeah, I mean, there might even be another topic here uh, for another time that we can the, ramble through of games which just become too big. Yes, uh, to the point we're going to vaguely touch. Cumbersome. We're going to vaguely touch on that at the end of this, but yeah, it'll yeah. deserve a proper discussion at some point. Thank you to Mastercraft and Miniatures for sponsoring this podcast. That's okay, mate. Uh, Mastercraft Miniatures produce shoulder pads and hands for space marines, Japanese scenery, uh, lanterns and so on, as well as some animals like tortoises and birds and toads and things like that. Uh, I also stock miniatures for Eden, which is a post-apocalyptic wasteland game. Uh, they also, I also have some miniatures from Mal Miniatures and Golem Miniatures, uh, both really nice but not for any particular game. You can find Mastercrafted Miniatures at mastercrafted.co.uk, at MC Minis on Twitter, and Mastercrafted Miniatures on Facebook and Instagram. We should also thank Narbicus for producing our intro and outro music. He's not anywhere on the internet, so you can't find him. So my thing is, that you, you, you can't be someone's primary game unless you're kind of within the ones you've just mentioned. Yeah. I mean, Fantasy Flight managed to do it with uh, X-Wing. Yes, uh, and I think they're trying to do it with the the uh, oh god I can't remember Armada. what it's called no not Armada the one with actual people running around oh like Imperial Assault no the the tabletop 40k oh, yes. for Star Wars game anyway that I think, one I think they're trying to do that they, they they can do that with an IP because people are just mad for Star Wars I think X Wing managed to do it because it's a good I have not seen much uptake of. Star no, Wars game, so right. I don't think that will happen with that one. Anyway, but. so you need to be you need to be sort of going in for people's secondary games. Yeah, and I have a lot of secondary games. Bushido is probably my primary game. Yeah, and then I have a lot of secondaries which I play every now and then. And what I really appreciate about Wrath of Kings being a dead game this is that it doesn't change between me playing it. Yeah, that's, I that's can come not, back. That's to nothing it. to keep up with. Yeah, I know what my stuff does, and if my opponent has managed to get hold of a Wave Two model from America, yeah. I can go. Let's have a look at that one card. Yeah, and I'll be like, oh, okay. Now I. It reminds me of playing Hordes and War Machine against a couple of mates when, who, when, who had the same sort of indifference to keeping up. With yeah, you, 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 you've all bought something you thought would be fun, and then you're just playing with that. It was the same when I used to play Magic: uh, uh, The Gathering yeah. at the pub with my friend Will. Yeah, it was essentially like, we're not keeping up with the meta. Let's just. Let's just try this this deck out. And, and I, I, I had that thing with um, uh, Vampire the Eternal Struggle. Hmm. Yeah, the card game. Okay. Because there was a group of five of us, and between us we had a ton of cards and like 20-odd constructed decks. Hmm. And usually what we do is we just put the deck boxes out, roll a dice, oh, you have this one, you have this one, you have this one. Because it was a really good multiplayer game. Yeah. And then we just sat down and, and played a couple of rounds of that. Hmm. And occasionally decks would be taken apart and reconstructed. What what I liked about but, yeah. the, the the magic and the hordes examples yeah. was that probably less so with the hordes, but with magic, I could just say to my mate, "Can you maybe not run that one again? Because it wasn't too much fun." Yeah. Like, well done, you've you've, 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 you've successfully destroyed me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and of course, with that, he's not going out and spending twenty quid on a rare card. It's just like, can you not use that one card? Yeah. Uh, it, but if, if you're doing it with the miniatures game, you can't do that. You can't say to someone, hey, that £35 Modern, war beast that you've you, just you, you've used, just gotten can you not and use just it painted, 
Yeah. It was sort of annoying. Please don't do that again. But because we were so rarely buying new things, it was it was reasonably easy to sort of adapt yeah. slightly to that nasty new thing yeah. that your, your mate had. Um, so some of that comes down to size of community. Uh, what I'll say about Rotha Kings is there don't seem to be any glaring problems with it at the moment. They fixed some stuff where Hadros, one of the factions, was not... Me- it was me- just too cumbersome. Mechanically, it did not work well. Yes, it was really clunky and um, and also wasn't all that powerful. Uh, so Wave 2, there was a new book and they, they a fixed... A big errata on some yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, okay, there is one thing where in the second book, one of the missions is reliant on... Uh, a rule that's no longer in the rule Yeah, book. attaching something to uh, a unit, but it doesn't have the rule for attachment in the book at all. Uh, and it was actively taken out of that mission yeah. description, so that's very weird. Yeah, that, that's very odd. But... As long as you've got both books, you're fine. I, there's not enough uh, which which will actually result in, in big problems. Uh, and you could, even if you didn't have the first book, you could probably mm. make it up and be fine. So for me, it being a dead game is a good thing. Yes. Because I, I never hoped for it to be my main game. It's got an interesting quirk. I picked it up because I was like, these models are kind of fun. They're cheap. Uh, yeah. And the the mechanic of rolling a D10 and consulting your opponent's defense chart and then modifying it potentially yeah. was interesting to me. And it does work quite well. And there's some fun synergistic gameplay available in it, actually. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's definite wordiness on the unit cards. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff going on in them, but they're still pretty specific about how stuff should work. Lots of keywordy stuff. Yeah, loads and loads of keyword stuff. Uh, so yeah, I don't think there's too many times where stuff comes up and I'm just like, oh, this just doesn't make sense, or this is just straight broken. No, there's quite a lot of rock paper scissors going in on going on in it. Yes, there's some definite matchups you want, and some definite matchups you don't want. But it has a built-in sideboard mechanic which is designed. Yes, it's designed so to help you counter that. If you go to a tournament, which there have been a couple in the UK, there's normally one at the UK Games Expo, I think, possibly on a Friday where I I don't go on the Friday. Yeah, whereas I do. Yeah, uh, but. So you can turn up and you go, oh, I'm facing you, you don't have any armour, so I'm going to swap out My, these models yeah. that target armour for yeah. something else. Yeah, exactly. So that, that's cool. I guess the argument where where a game being dead is a negative thing is if you wanted it to be your primary game, and if solving the rules puzzle is the thing that you're really, really into. I am. So that's my one concern with this is because I am quite into that. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'll play this enough for it to be a problem for me. But I have had games like happen with Malifaux where I was playing Colette a lot. And eventually I got to go like, okay, well, I, I know everything I'm going to want to run with her. And I know everything yeah. I'm going to... So I just sort of lost interest. This is interesting. I saw some someone comment on a Guild Ball post uh, today where they said, oh, I know every game how I put my influence down for my first turn yeah. on my crew. And for me, I was like, oh, that's sort of a bit of a shame because you've solved that thing and now... Yes, but it's also partly because of the nature of Guildhall. And it'll then, mm. after turn one, it'll then change rapidly. Yeah, because then you're actually reacting and adapting. Yes. But, I mean, this is perhaps another thing which may come up in the later discussion, which is when you have new additions, when you have new releases, definitely for a game, it shifts the meta. Mm-hmm. But there's that period where people are figuring out how that shift has happened. And yeah. I, I refer to it 
to myself is like solving the puzzle. Yeah. Because every time a rule set comes out, people will try to solve the puzzle. They'll, they'll try and find gamers do. how do I min max this the most? What some gamers do. Yes. It's it's what com- the competitive scene does. Yeah. And everyone likes to come up with a cool combination. Yeah. Of things. Turns out doing cool stuff is fun. Yeah. I'm terrible at writing lists for Bushido because I do I do start with like, oh, it'd be really cool to run him and him. And when I come up with a, a synergy thing, I fixate on it too much. Yeah. you And it becomes a crutch. You, so you, I'm bad you, you sort of start at the wrong end because what you need to start with is you need to go like, I need a list that can do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. How do I do that? Rather than go like, oh, I want a list that can do, that can do A. Oh, and it can also do a bit of B. Yeah. doesn't actually help me solve any of my problems, yeah. but it'll be really fun. Well, I, I, you, you get that list writing thing where you go, this is what my list does. Yeah. And if you come up against someone who can prevent you doing that, then... It falls apart and you'd lose. Yeah, it's, it's similar to how you get the Death Stars in 40k, or you certainly yeah. used to. I imagine you still do now. There's more synergy in, in 40k. Uh, it certainly seems like it. Yeah, there's lots of bubble yeah. stuff, bubble buffs. Um so, yeah, I feel like we're sort of talking all around this. We, we are. Um, it's ne- it was never going to be a particularly focused discussion because well, I'm really tired. Well, uh, also... We haven't the, written any notes. The, the, the topic is a little <laughs> bit diffused because it's yeah. mostly like what does a, what a game mean to you? Game and... The one, I, w- I would say there is a couple of big downsides to it as far as I can tell. A, like I bought, I just bought into the game mm. but that's because there's a small group of people locally who have it and I know will give me games. Yeah. If you would like to start a new group for a dead game, good luck. Oh, that's a really hard sell. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it helps a little bit by the fact that you can still buy some of the, most of the models in retail. Yeah. But if you're talking about a really dead game where you have to buy everything secondhand, really good luck starting a new group with that. Yeah, so I guess... This this game is is sort of on the verge of being orphaned, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it it's sort of being treated like the ginger step, stepchild, and I I don't think Kulmina we'll not have particularly much interest in it. No, but equally they paid a bunch for a load of molds, and yeah. they can still run them. I, I I like I say, I do wonder if they run out of stock. Whether that will be that, I think so, but we'll see. Which will be a real bummer for me. I mean, then it does push it into the true dead game, almost like dead and buried, where. The only way you're going to get miniatures for it, let's talk like Battlefleet Gothic. Yeah. The only way you're going to get miniatures for that are going on eBay and paying a ridiculous amount or going through recasters. Yeah. Which, obviously, as someone who does casting for a living, I'm not a big fan of recasters. I was going to say, you're not a fan. No. it's. <laughs> but there is a difference, and the whole God, there's another topic, of, of recasting something which is actively produced. Versus recasting just, something that's just not available. Yes. So with the former, you are, you are actively... Fucking over someone's ability yeah. to pay their mortgage and put their kids through school, which is just not cool. No matter what you think, and I'm going to go off a little rant, no matter what you think about You're, whether the, the thing is priced you appropriately. Are, you are not entitled to cheaper miniatures just because you like them. Yeah. There's a gamer entitlement thing where people go, well, you know, it shouldn't be that much money, so I'm going to get it from someone who produces it cheaper. Okay, they produce it. They may produce it at the same level of quality, but... You don't know who's producing it, how much they're getting paid. You don't know what material it's made from, because I've had some resins uh, which are just awful. Which, yeah. like, you, you get it and you're like, this, this this isn't a legit miniature. I bought yeah. it off eBay, scratch it and I smell it, and I'm like, I, I don't feel comfortable that that resin would be legal in the EU, yeah. sort of thing. Um, 
But more importantly, you're taking, you're ignoring the time that the sculptor put in sculpting that miniature. Turns out that the main price of a miniature is not the material cost. Yeah, absolutely. It just infuriates me. So anyway, when a game is dead, I'm inclined to say it's, it's probably okay. If it's actually dead, if, the, if, if the there's no, there's, no, there's, there's no way to legit get miniatures, yeah. it has been gone for years, no one is making any money off it, it's just sort of available in It's the still hobby. technically illegal. Yes. And, it, and it's still going to be, um, it, it, it's, it's not going to be, you're not going to be prosecuted, I doubt, because... No, who, <sighs> no one is going to report you to the police. No. Probably. But you yeah, I, I probably shouldn't do it still. Yeah, it's difficult. And that one is harder. But. And then when the game is actually dead, actually out of production, getting people on board, you're basically... If someone is saying, oh, let's start up the Battlefleet Gothic community locally, you're asking people to pay quite a lot of money for a game that... I, yeah, I saw my old Chaos Fleet a couple of years ago, got quite a lot... Of, see, more than I thought, because yeah. I was just like, oh, I'll offload it, and someone's like, oh, I'll have all of it. I think my nephew's got one of the Admech um, battle... Ships, cruisers, yeah, which they produced so few of, and then the mold broke, and they never. Yeah. I don't know how you. But anyway, the mold yeah. was Did, was destroyed yeah. somehow. Maybe it just tore because those things are quite abrasive yeah. to a mold. Uh, so yeah, you should probably probably shift that. But he should compare the price he gets to what it would be if it was made out of gold and see oh, if yeah. he, he would have made out better or not. <laughs> so. Yeah, I feel I sort of lost my place now. Uh, we were talking about getting people into games that are no longer supported. You sort of have the same thing with edition changes. Yes. For a lot of games, whenever there's an edition change around, I see a small group of people going like, I hate this X new thing. I will just continue to play with my old rules. and Or people go like, oh, this was much better. We'll just do that. Perhaps the best example of uh, of this might be Age of Sigmar coming along and going, well, Warhammer Fantasy's dead. Yeah. And uh, this is the new rule set. And of course, loads of people were outraged at the time. Like, oh, they're dumbing it down. It's definitely a different game. It is a very different game. But the one thing it hasn't done is burnt your rule books for the previous game, which you yes. loved. And actually, it, it caused... The creation of the Ninth Age yeah. rule set, which is community-based yeah. rule set based on on Eighth Edition, you may not like that, of course, but it exists. You don't have to throw your models away. No. You don't have to rebase everything. GW rounds. also tends to have big enough communities that you can have a small a, a fact, fraction of the community that goes off and do that thing, and it's actually big enough to make it viable. Yeah. Blood Bowl for years lived as a community project. Yeah. Before Games Workshop been like, oh, we might be able to sell this again. Well, and it's arguably such a solid rule set as a result of that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it still has its problems. There's still skills you would never take competitively, but fine. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's quite telling that GW barely changed the rule set when they re-released it. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it would have gone well for them if they'd done, actually. No, there's a I couple think, of very think, odd changes. But... Yeah, but I think if they'd gone, like, lots of changes, I think the Blood Bowl community might just have ignored them. Yeah, no, they absolutely would have done. Yeah, which is not a good look. <laughs> no, it wouldn't have been in their interest. No, um, I guess it was. It's, it's telling that the new GW, the 
post curve yeah. GW is uh, is that pragmatic? Yeah. Is that much without ego? Uh, but interestingly, I think Blood Bowl is a good example of a game where it wasn't that hard to get people into it, even though it technically was dead. It was not supported by its main by its original company, but there was so much to buy for it. it was so, like, so well supported by third parties. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Third party support was huge. Still is. Yeah. The rules were available. There was an active community for it. So maybe you, what a game actually need is not a parent company. But active support around it? Yeah, I guess. <clears throat> yeah, Blood Bowl's an interesting example because it hasn't had new rules releases until GW picked it back up, but it still maintained a massive community during that time. So people could pick up miniatures from all sorts of manufacturers, but the rules weren't changing that much. No. They were tweaked a little bit. Yeah, but it was never. But very, very small tweaks mostly. Yeah, it was very rarely like meta shifting tweaks. No, uh, it was really just sort of polishing. Yeah, with the compendium. So that it, that's an interesting one. Um, I think it comes down to. I think that's a very game specific thing, though. I don't think most games could get away with that. No, and, and Blood Bowl had this. It obviously exceeded the critical mass for fans, where that was plausible. It was also for a very long time quite a unique thing. Yeah. There are now several sports games. Yeah. And like Guild Ball. But Guild Ball and Blood Bowl don't really bear much resemblance to each other. I always find other. it baffling when people compare them. Like, yes, well, they, they're both sports-based games, but that's about it. They both have a ball in them. Uh, and you play uh, teams. Yeah. But yeah. Utterly different. Guild Ball isn't a sports game. No. I mean, arguably, Blood Bowl probably isn't a sports game either. Not really. There's so no. Much, there's so much beating up of people. But I guess... Yeah, Guild Ball is, is really it's, it's a standard skirmish game. It's a skirmish game, game with, with a weird scenario. Yeah, and that's it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess... I feel like this is digression the episode. Well, but... it kind of is, but it's also like a nebulous topic. The other thing we were going to talk about as an extension of dead games was what happens when it's just selected miniatures that are dead. Yeah, so if we if we use Age of Sigmar as an example again, they brought it out and they go, okay, look, there's still rules for all the models you have. Yeah. Brilliant. And then they bring out the, uh, what's it, the, the General's General's, handbook. yeah. And then they bring out General's Handbook 2. And when they brought out General's Handbook 2, I'd been working on this Black Orc big boss, yeah. or war boss that I, I had. I was converting an old 40k guy, yeah. repainting him. And then the new General's Handbook came out. And there's no profile for him in there. Yeah. So he had gone from being a profile which you probably wouldn't use because he wasn't very good. Yeah. So competitively, he's been he, he he's, he's been, been left behind. Yeah. So you've got this. You've got okay. You've got a few stages here. Yeah. You've got the the model which is no longer competitive, so is sort of orphaned by the community. Yeah. Then you've got the model which has just straight up been taken out of the game, so it's orphaned by the actual creator. Or the model which is still in the game, but no longer available to purchase. Yeah, which is... Oh, yeah, you never want that. No. Because then you get into the black market, you get into recast yeah, yeah, again. Yeah. And, yeah. But that might actually be a stage on the way to, oh, we're taking this out of the game, but mm. we're not going to want to do it just yet. To me, the really interesting 
aspect of this is when the company takes stuff out of the rules. Yeah. Is that okay? Because I mean, you saw like Privateer Press when they launched, they made a big deal out of not being Games Workshop and specifically not taking, they would not take models out of their lineup. Yeah. Which arguably at this point is probably a problem for them because their range is massive. Yeah, a bit of an albatross I would have thought by now. Um, they've done various things with like theme lists to solve it, which effectively just means that actually you don't have those big factions anymore. You have a whole range of sub-factions. Yeah. But that creates related but slightly different issues, I yeah. think. Um, and it makes it really hard to join the game. I think it's a necessary part of managing a game over a period of time. Like, once, a long period of time. Yeah, once a game has been out there for a long time, and has reached again that sort of critical mass of profiles. Mm. You, it, it it would be ridiculous to to lumber yourself with this albatross of old profiles. But it's how you do it. I think if if you just go a bit like GW kind of have done, just go oh these model models are no longer mm. usable. Yeah. Uh, or they're just or no longer even worth taking. You sort of soft. Yeah, soft, uh, soft abandonment. abandonment. Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's difficult. If if you are honest and upfront about it and say, "Hey, this model is going to be cycled out," treat yeah. it as a as a wave of magic cards and say, "This is going to be cycled out by this point competitively." Uh, we will no longer update the profile to yeah. try and balance it and keep it in line yeah. with the meta. But I, I don't know. I mean, it happens a lot in card games. But the investment yeah. in card games is also very different than the investment in minigame. But if you if you pay fifteen quid for a model, yeah, twenty quid for a model, at what point is it reasonable for it to no longer be usable in a game? And I guess there's another question. Whereas, like, I understand from like keeping your your game balanced and manageable, you might want to start getting rid of models, but the. Do you need to in in terms of? Do you just rebalance them to get them working in the meta? Um, I mean, at some point, because as we just talked about, like support and new releases is one of the driving factors behind stuff. And at a certain point, like logistically, it just probably becomes unmanageable or too expensive to keep your range. Yeah. I mean, I'm not managing a giant miniature game, so I don't. No. Well, you've got, but I mean, you've got to put like it, it on store shelves. Yes. So, I mean, even GW only stock their top 200 lines in their stores. Yeah. I think that's still true. And everything else you ordered through the, their website yes. or, uh, you know... Direct whoever. orders, yeah. Yeah. So, it, it's a logistical burden at some point. But if you're killing off miniatures... Has someone have the people who bought it had a chance to get the use out of it they want to get out of it? Do you have to then just go? Oh, we have to kill the profile. This is no longer acceptable mm. competitively because you can't just have it floating around like some kind of vestigial. Yeah, no, that, limb. that, like, that, that weird. Yeah, so you have to say this is no longer acceptable in competitive play. I mean, you can do what you do in Magic where you have different formats. Yeah. Um, or are you are you thinking like you could do? You stop producing and selling a model and then go like, okay, well, we will no longer sell this model from January uh, 2019. You can no longer buy this model from us. Hmm. 
um, January 2020 or 2021 or whatever, that model will no longer be allowed in competitive play. Mm. So you will have, at a minimum, a year, two years, however long you desire, from when you last could buy that model officially to it goes out of the game officially. Is that okay? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it has to be. Because you don't want a game just becoming <coughs> sort of stagnant through its... These Inertia. And, yeah. And, yeah. Because it's got these things as a burden around it, uh, around its neck. I mean, something that interests me is when you try and have narrative in your game systems, that at some point you should probably be killing characters off anyway yeah. within the narrative. And maybe you can then actually start using narrative as an excuse for end of lifeing yeah. a profile or a character yeah. entirely. You're like, oh, this character is now just becoming too much of a burden on 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 the rule set. We could redo them. It's not worth it. But it would probably be better to actually just bring out a different character. Yeah. So, I mean, Gilball does it with the seasons where they go, oh, this is now veteran so-and-so. Yeah, so I was, I was going to say, because that seems to be the way games do that instead so instead you don't kill off an old profile i've seen very few games i can't think of any where the old profile is no longer like war machine have multiple like Haley one two and three Mm. Uh, they also have titles but no one can remember what those are um guild ball have the veterans and seasoned like i think brisket have three different versions okay so there's brisket veteran brisket and seasoned brisket um, also, to make it even, and you can still use all you can still three. use all three of them to make it even easy to make it better. Brisket and veteran brisket play for the butchers, but seasoned brisket is uh, captain in the order, which is the union sub faction. Okay, so <laughs> I hadn't previously thought of this, but you explaining that and the the war mm. machine caster situation brings up another point. So, whilst it's possible to keep these profiles around forever, yeah, bringing someone in who's a new player and going. Oh, yeah, here's this character. They're really cool. There's three to five versions of them. Yeah, and uh, some of them are in the same faction and some of them aren't. Yeah, and no, no. You, I, that, that to me just puts me off. That it, it makes it harder to... So you come up against... It's, it's fine when you're building your own list. Yeah. But you come up against an opponent and they go, oh, I'm running Hayley or yeah. whoever. You're like, okay, which version is that? For a time, you might not even know there's multiple versions. Mm-hmm. And obviously that's just getting to know the yeah, game yeah. and so on. But there's already so much to know with a game like War Machine that is so big yeah. and already complicated just per card, let alone uh-huh. per faction. That, that to me, is is a good enough it, argument to just end a life the old It ones. also introduces interesting balance issues in terms of yeah. designing. because So I play Morticians in Guild Ball. And all through Season 3, you had Graves is the one guy where you have two versions. Graves and Veteran Graves. So Veteran Graves had some issues, but he was not inherently like that bad. He literally never saw play in Season 3. Because right. Graves was really good. <laughs> and you can't, have, you can't have both of them on the pitch. Well, naturally. Because it's the same guy. The o- so he would just never see play. The idea for me that you can have both of them active in the game in, in terms of... Action profiles world yeah. at the same time just seems bizarre. I, I get an under, I, I get so you go, okay, here, here's this character, then you go next season or whatever. You go, mm. oh, look, there's a veteran version of him yeah. as well. The old version of him is usable 
for this season, yeah. and then he goes away. Yeah. Because if you're pushing a narrative, yeah. if you're saying that time is moving forward and these characters yeah. are changing, dying... Yeah, that's, know, that's a bunch of dead characters in Gilbert. Which having still limbs playable. removed. Yeah. Um, if, you, if, you're, if you're committed to that narrative, you need to commit to it. You need to get rid of them. Otherwise, it's not a narrative, really. It's a what-if narrative. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a bit like replaying the you know, Battle of Waterloo uh, yeah. and, and having a different outcome. Yeah. Like, you, maybe that's okay. Maybe, yeah. as I say that, maybe yeah. that is okay. That, I mean, it, it's but, certainly the model get them game of... companies are going for. <sighs> yeah. Um, so, because I think that no one wants to test if uh, the community is okay with this. I think that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Is that, or maybe the community is not okay with that. Because the difficulty you've got, of course, is it's not just the buy-in of buying the miniature. Yeah. It's okay, Gilball aside, putting it together. Yeah. But then it's also painting it up. Yeah. And most people outside of War Machine Hordes do paint their miniatures. <laughs> or oh, shots fired. Um, <laughs> so you're asking someone to take the miniature which they have, have spent, committed spent time money to. and time and effort on, yeah. and then go like, he. You can't use them anymore. Just throw him away, it's fine. Put him in the cabinet. Yeah. That's where he's going to have to stay now forever. And it's probably fine if you're primarily a painter. Yeah. But for anyone else, it's 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 a bit of an ask, perhaps. And you could you could say, oh, you can still use the old miniature for the new profile. Yeah. But then, of course, that limits your narrative decisions. It, One, you can't kill them, but you can't you can't lop a leg off and have it replaced with a robot leg because. Yeah, or go like, oh, he's now. I know he used to use knives. He now has a giant club. Yeah. Oh, he's lost both of his legs, but now he's got a helicopter on his back. Yeah. You can't. That doesn't yeah. really work. And at a certain point, it just so it's very limiting. Um, it yeah, I, I think also crucially, I think limits sales. Like, if you produce a new model for a new version of a new character, you have something to sell. If mm. you produce a new profile and tell everyone just use the old model, I mean, let's not forget these are like it's a business. Mm. If you put a ton of development time into something that will ultimately generate very effectively no sales. Was that worth doing? Maybe it's worth it for keeping up the game and just selling the game as a whole. Yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm not running a company. Moment, it's difficult, so. isn't it? Because especially where if you're producing something in plastics, you've invested a significant amount of money. Even for PVC, you've invested front, yeah. a lot of money up front. That so, model needs to hang around for a long time. Yeah, especially if you, you don't, don't have want to sunset that, that investment. Yeah, and, and until it looks like it might need replacing. I don't know what that time frame is for, for the aluminium uh, moulds molds for PVC or yeah. the steel ones for uh, for hips. But, yeah, I, I guess there's, there's a sort of thing there where you like, well, we don't want to just say you can't buy this anymore because we can still make money from it. Yes. I mean, that's that, I mean that is, this is a not inconsiderable aspect of this whole thing. It's like, mm. that's, that's a, what will the community accept, put up with, be fine with. What do you want to do in terms of like narrative for a game? But the production side has to be a main concern because if you discount the production side, you will go out of business. Yeah, I mean, even just through producing sculpts for Bushido, I'm aware that you know you've got you've got a target cap on the price of a miniature, really. Yeah, but. That then feeds into when you're designing the profile or the miniature, how mm. big can they be? Yeah. Because it turns out that size is directly proportional to the cost. Like the 3D printing 
I mean, that, that there's a logarithmic scale for the larger a miniature, yeah. the more it costs to produce in a print. Yeah. But then just spin it on uh, in metal. Yeah. You have got fewer of them per spin mm. and more metal per spin. Yeah. Or per miniature that yeah. you get off that anyway. So that actually limits the design of the profiles in that way. It's a sort of connected concern. But I, I do feel that if you if you want to sell a narrative in a game, you should. I do feel you kind narrative. of need to commit to it. And I say that knowing that from a business point of view, it's a really it's bad a idea. real tough sell. It's, it's a tough sell to to, to players. Saying, yeah. oh, you're only well, going to get limited time I mean, out of this. I, I mean, in theory, I'm quite in favour of that. In practice, I'm not sure I'd buy into a game that upfront goes like, um, we'll sell you stuff, <laughs> but inside a couple of years, you might not be able to use it. I mean, you could say, oh, you, you could say, let's play season one of Guild Ball yeah. And you could. Realistically, are you going to do that? Probably no. not. Um, I, so an interesting aspect for that is Battletech. Yeah. Which have different ages. Hmm. Like that has different time periods and you have different tech manuals for different periods of time which determines which makes you get and what kind of equipment you can have and stuff. And there you really can go like, well, let's play a Dark Age game. Or whatever, because I can't actually remember the years. <laughs> um, well, much like any historical game we'll have. Yeah. And actually, if you look at... Uh, I don't know about the latest edition of Lord of the Rings, but with the previous edition of Lord of the Rings... You could, you could have Aragorn and Arathorn in the same army. So they, they did then later bring out a thing which said, oh, you know, here's an optional set of rules where it restricts who you can yeah. take and timelines. Yeah. Uh, but it's, I think it's difficult to, again, to, to sell that, certainly competitively. Yes. And I think if you want your... Depends on your ambitions for the game, but certainly it seems to me that the competitive scene is where you want to tap into if you want your game to be big. Yeah, it's got to be there. It's, it's sort of unfortunate, really, because uh, I, I quite like games which aren't interested in, in tournaments as well as... You can do some... You can, games you, are, can, you can do different things based on what kind of gameplay you want, but without a competitive engine so to speak yeah well a competitive scene drives a game forward yeah. again going back to solving the puzzle that it keeps people energized for yeah. it and even if it's not even if there isn't a big tournament scene for a game wanting to be competitive drives your experimentation yeah absolutely so yeah, even within wrath of kings it, when i play against you yeah well, it's sort of a mirror match, except I've got more models at my disposal. Yeah. So when we play, I might be like, oh, I'm going to try something different out. Yeah. Yeah, but we might also just favour different things. Mm. And I mean, especially with the faction that both of us are playing, um, the, the supporting characters you pick actually have larger influence on how everything else yeah. works as well. So just a couple of different picks can actually generate quite different behaving armies. Yeah. Which I did actually think about before I bought into them. And was like, no, this will actually be fine. Because just a couple of different things will have a much larger, larger impact. Yeah. Whereas if I'd gone with Garitzi, which Paul plays, yeah. that would probably be very similar. Yeah, it seems to be, I don't know enough about that faction. But 
a lot of their Wave 2 stuff seems a little bit like the Wave 1 stuff. Yeah, it's just like, oh, here's... Got bigger werewolves. Yeah. <laughs> Did... Maybe just because I haven't played... I've only played against them. Mm. I haven't played with them. But a lot of it doesn't seem that different. Yeah, I, I, I imagine we're wrong there. Um, probably. Because, yeah, like, the faction I've probably looked at the least... Oh, the faction I look at the least is, is Hadros, just because it's confusing and I don't like the aesthetic of most of the range. Oh, I really like that jellyfish men. I think they're I, what is this? Is it the Union? The pig people? Techness. Techness. I really like the backstory. Hmm. I really don't like the models. Yeah, I really don't like a lot of the models. So I like the flying babies. <laughs> so I was like, read the, read the flutter for the flying backstory. Oh, this will this could be interesting. Flip through, look at the art. Out. Nope. Not happening. So there is one thing about Wrath of Kings which might be worth mentioning briefly, which is some of the depiction of women is not ideal, perhaps. Yes. In, in a couple of ways, actually. There's a lot of nakedness. Um, but in Nazir, you've got the Pelagarth... Uh, Oh god, I've I've got that faction. I can't even remember what they're called. The blood with no, they're not called blood creatures. No, anyway, and they are all naked except for basically plasters over their nipples yeah. and uh, a g-string. So interesting. That's actually mentioned in the fluff. <laughs> really? So because is this going to be like quiet in Metal Gear Solid? Where no. it's like, oh, she can only breathe through her skin. No, so no, 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 no. It's naked. actually I actually thought it was quite funny. So because they're they're masked, you get. Matching powers through various masks yeah. makes their skin into stone, okay. so you don't actually need armor. But they found being naked on the battlefield to be quite a tactical advantage. <laughs> sure. Um, that, yeah. yeah. What I find interesting about them, though, is that they're they're not sculpted to be the ideal naked no. woman that we have in our society. They are all plus size. Um, and really well sculpted, actually, yeah. I think. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of nakedness, and I think some people would be put off by some of the depiction of women in it. it was definitely one of the reasons why it took me that long to even look at the game, mm. because I remember looking at some of it and coming across some of it and be like, "Oh, I'm not sure about this game." Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's there's there's some weird realizations of of men in it but I, the trouble is you can just pile on a load of muscle mass and have them with like perky nipples and nipple rings uh it doesn't equate the same thing no scantily clad women so yeah that's just there if people are yeah it's a thing to be aware of it doesn't apply to all of the ranges or even all of the miniatures but it does apply to some of it no interestingly uh techness would would be exempt from that i think but uh, Shalehan and Nazir definitely suffer from it. Uh, Hadros is okay. Turns out jellyfish men, not that sexy. Yeah. Um, and I think Garitsi sort of goes... It's not it, that, not as bad. Most of the scantily clad women in that are also werewolves. Yes. So, with only two breasts, which, you know, that's a... <laughs> yeah. should, should it be six? I don't know. Anyway. Anyway, I think... I think we've I think, probably I think, rambled I think, enough. I think this covers our ramble around the idea of games that are not supported or taking miniatures out of circulation. Yeah. I'm I'm okay with it. Well, I'm okay with dead games. Yes. Um, Maybe not so much and with I think dead miniatures. Next 
time we might go the other way and talk about new editions? Yeah, I think there's some interesting stuff to be talked about. Why and how the effect. And what should it how be? is whoa. yeah, how is tough. Uh how not to piss people off. Um so yeah, thanks for joining us. Yeah. And we'll talk at you soon. Hopefully. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. Find Robot Dice Explosion at robotdiceexplosion.com at RDE underscore podcast at Twitter and Robot Dice Explosion on Facebook.